Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, back with the finale of the off-season's projection podcast series with Ben Gretsch here on Establish the Edge. For the final episode, Ben, we've got the NFC South. Kind of crazy. We've run through the seven divisions already. Um, it's always fun. It's like a, it's a grind for a couple of weeks to get through these, but it's a lot of fun and I hope people have learned a lot from these and I'm excited to talk about Tampa Bay here right off the bat because they're one of the more exciting teams, especially from a play calling standpoint, Ben and I both have Tampa Bay as, you know, up tempo in terms of plays per game and really pass heavy, despite the fact that they're probably going to be in positive game scripts and score a ton of points. Dude, sorry. I, uh, I'm on the clock in a, Kill me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a sort of is, is on the clock. But as far as plays go, Ben has 65.6. I have 64.9. Uh, it's a small discrepancy. I think it's mostly just like it's it's hard to tell how much to regress these teams, especially a team like Tampa. And we've talked about teams like Buffalo too, where they're gonna be such a good team that generally the generally these type of teams run uh a ton of plays. And I actually have actually I think. Um, we have an edit in our stuff at 65.5. And I think I had brought them down when there was that mix of Gronk retiring. The Godwin news was uncertain. So I might actually bring them back up because our initial projection was 65.5, which is like identical, uh, to what, what Ben has our algorithm, which regresses teams a little bit further. Cause it doesn't know all the context that we quote unquote, IKB, I know better had them at 64.9. As far as called pass percentage, Ben has 64%. I have 65%. That's what makes Tampa so great is year over year. They are really high in pass rate over expectation with Brady plus 8.1% last year, second only to Kansas city the year prior and PROE they were plus 6.3%. Absolutely no reason to see that changing um, this season. Yep. I'm joining the show now, but yeah, high pass rate (laughs) play with pace. I'm with you. So that leads to Brady. Ben has 361 fantasy points. I have 342 fantasy points on the year. We each have him eclipsing 5,000 yards in mid thirties in touchdowns. And again, our projections a little bit light if we, uh, you know, increase those plays a bit further. So the issue with Brady from an archetype standpoint is obviously no rushing and it's hard to take a quarterback early. Who's going to provide you nothing in the rushing department. Uh, but Brady's close to an outlier just because the expected point scoring environment is so good. And we're, and we're so confident in the play calling. You're still not going to take him like top six to eight because he doesn't have the rushing component, but I'm fine with him. You know, if I miss out on those quarterbacks as like you know, the QB nine or 10 off the board, especially if it's in these contests where, having the correlation stacked with maybe an earlier Tampa Bay receiver makes some sense. Yeah. I think that's all well said. Led the league in completions, attempts, yards, passing TDs last year. Um, and all those stats, like you said, we feel very confident in the passing numbers and that covers a lot. The only, I guess, risk is, you know, does he have uh, a season at some point that is like what happened with Peyton Manning where he just sort of fell off in his final year. It doesn't seem like that's something Brady's destined for. And, and he has just such good weapons now. You add Julio in, um, I, I think you put it really well. I don't want him in the top you know, six or seven where there's the real rushing upside. But right after that, 
he definitely has upside. Yeah, re- really safe high-end production. Um, let's go to running back, where you've probably got some good bits, because if you follow Ben on his substack, bengretschatsubstack.com, he does this stealing signals article each week. And one of your focuses is high value touches for the running back position, you know, trying to avoid the trap backs who get, you know, the low value rush attempts between the twenties, trying to focus on the backs that are going to catch passes and get a lot of goal line touches. And Tampa Bay just churns out high value touches. I'm sure the data you've looked at backs that up. I mean, I know when we were doing the FFPC playoff challenge, we were hoping to run super pure on Keyshawn Vaughn when Fernette missed that first week. And, I think Vaughn and Giovanni Bernard both eclipsed 20 fantasy points in that game. And then Fournette comes back the next week and gets like 35 fantasy points on his own. And it just, it's just absolutely absurd. And Fournette's usage in the passing game in particular down the stretch was really, really high last season. Yep. He was one high value touch shy of the league high, which was Austin Eckler last year. High value touches are just receptions and, and, touches inside the 10 yard line. So scoring opportunities, receptions are very, very valuable, obviously for running backs for upside uh, at the position, particularly in PPR leagues. Um, Fournette. Yeah, absolutely dominated in this, in this offense. But as you noted, if he were to miss time, you would expect the other backs <laughs> to also do it like it ha- like happened in the, in the postseason. So I'm really uh, really in on Rashad white. He has a three down profile. He's got a really good uh, pass catching profile. Uh, He's a little bit of an older back, but he basically checks every other box. And now he lands in a spot where, I mean, he's going to have to get on the field and he's not, you know, he's running behind the veterans that are backing up Fournette uh, so far in camp. But if he can, you know, work his way to a number two spot, we don't, probably think Vaughn is that great at this point. And Vaughn hasn't been very good as a pass catcher. Geo's pretty old. I mean, if something were to happen to Fournette, I think you have this, you know, real sky high potential with white, but setting that aside, I mean, Fournette, as long as he's on the field is going to be a very good producer. Yeah. Fournette last season only had one game where he had a single digit target share, which is pretty crazy for a running back to have a double digit target share. And then, there's almost no competition for goal line work. And we know this is a team that's going to get goal line work. They have the highest, I think, average team total on the entire season. Uh, the, the issue with Fournette is, I guess, twofold would be, you know, how, t- how talented is he really? Like if Rashad White's good, does he take work from Leonard Fournette? Um, does Fournette hold that passing game work that he did last season? I think... Personally, I think a lot of that's bait risks kind of baked into his cost at the two, three turn where I know like, like Pat Corain, our buddy wrote a really good article last year about backs having to have a certain amount of upside to be worth an early pick. And like, sometimes a lot of stuff in between is noisy to me for Nat, if it breaks right, does have the upside just because the high value touches, um, the, the skill concern is what has me not drafting him like at the one, two turn, but the two, three turn where he's going now, I think he's okay. And I'm hundred percent in line with you on white too, though. White's been one of our favorite targets at ETR. I think, I mean, he's really just got such a potential to be a league winner. If he can step in, if something happens to Fernet, because like whoever it is, is just going to score fantasy points. Like this, it's impossible for this backfield to not score fantasy points. Yeah. And if it's not white, I mean, it's a good, 
it, it's a good note to keep an eye on for even like early season waivers. If White doesn't have, you know, a strong August that, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn should be rostered at that point. This is a backfield we want to roster. I think three or maybe even four backs should be rostered in most leagues of depth. Um, you know, maybe shallower leagues. That's not, that's not accurate, but um, you can't always pick the backup correctly, but you can identify the the half of the EV equation. That's like, what do we get when we're right? Which, you know, you would think I was talking about in DFS. Uh, what we get is a backfield that generates a ton of high value touches. Like we've said it several times now. Yeah. And then going to wide receiver, Mike Evans, the ADP has been a ride for him. When the offseason first started, I was like, man, Mike Evans in round three, like this is typically not type of wide receiver target, but that's amazing. Uh, he's gone the way of like Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley as the guys that I remember fondly at a price tag that uh, was never to be seen again. And he got up as early as I think Silva in his top 150 had him as early as seven before the Julio signing and before the news on Godwin's ACL recovery being positive. Um, he goes early too. Uh, I don't know. How do you feel about him there? Because it's tough for me where that seems like a peak price to pay for Mike Evans, but also structurally, if I want to build teams through a wide receiver, I, I don't know if there's too many wide receivers I'd have above them. Like, you know, after CD lamb goes as wide receiver six, I, I think Evans is probably right there, you know, with the Gronk absence and even with the positive news on Godwin, it's still a little bit of a health risk and Evans just seems really safe for, you know, a thousand yard season and and 10 ish touchdowns, which, which will definitely play well. Yeah. I don't love him there. I don't think he has sort of the upside that he needs. He had a one six, five yards per out run last year. That was his lowest in several years. Uh, His targets per out run particularly were down to 17.5%, which is like pretty like average wide receiver two stuff, even sort of below average. There's a ton of volume in this offense, but that was a decline from, you know, 19.3% the prior year. And then the several years prior to that, he was in up above 20. They've had a lot of targets. And so, you know, some of the targets per out run stuff comes down to who are the other four guys that are the eligible receivers on a given play. They've had other good players, but Godwin saw a nice bump last year. Um, Somebody was mentioning to me some of that's probably related today through a lot of like quick hitters to Godwin throughout the season last year. It might have been you, Leone, who mentioned that to me at one point this offseason. But Godwin's targets per outrun jumped three percentage points from 2020 to 2021. And so I would have said, you know, and have said earlier in the offseason, if Godwin was healthy, I would have been talking about Godwin being the one who's entering his prime or in his prime, Evans sort of exiting, not like too dissimilar from like, you know, Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, not, not as big of a gap in age, but sort of similar in that regard where I would have been a lot higher on Godwin than Evans. What we have mm-hmm. is all off season where we didn't know that Godwin was going to necessarily be healthy, but we started to get positive reports. And now we've added Julio Jones, who by the way, had a target spot run very similar to Evans. A lot of his numbers look very similar to Evans. I mean, I think you can make a case that Julio Jones, Julio Jones, even though he's quite a bit older than Evans, isn't much different of a player than Evans at this stage of his career. No, stop it. Get out of here. I, if you look at their numbers, I mean, Julio Jones had a higher target per out run last year, had the exact same yards per target. He ran quite a few, quite. We got to give some credit for the, uh, the raw total stats and stand out on the field though. You know, we're still booking, it'll be 27 touchdowns over two seasons, you know, under Brady. Sure. Um, Sure. There's, there's definitely a high TD right here. We both have them projected for about nine receiving TDs. 
I think Evans is good. I think with the addition of Julio and the positive stuff on Godwin, I, I mean, I already thought Godwin was, whenever he came back, was likely to be the one you wanted down the stretch, which doesn't necessarily mean I was buying Godwin at his price all offseason. Had a hard time with Evans' price kind of all offseason if Godwin yeah. is the one that's sort of ascending as I was just laying out. Yeah, I think Evans for me is more like, I'm, I'm indifferent in the price tag. I'm not, I, I, I'm pretty indifferent. I do think first him and Godwin, we generally have Godwin projecting a little bit better when they're both at full strength. The thing with Godwin is again, you mentioned you know, like the quick hitters, he gets more of the easy targets. I could see him having a higher target share than Mike Evans. You mentioned the targets per route run stuff. Evans has the higher TD upside, but it's also this weird scenario where like we're already baking in Evans scoring more touchdowns. So if like Godwin were to run well in touchdowns, then like there's almost more growth to his projection from a fantasy point total perspective than Evans, just because yeah, like uh, Evans can only score so many touchdowns and we're already assuming him to score a lot. Whereas Godwin, we're a little bit lower. If Godwin was healthy, who would you take? Like, let's just say no ACL. Who would you take higher? I think I'd take Godwin. I think, but I think it'd be like a coin flip. I've been, but I, I've been like five, six turn Godwin all off season has just been yeah. my jam. Um, especially now where like the price tag's risen a little, but people are still shying away. You know, we don't necessarily think the positive news, which is that he was cleared to practice and didn't start on pop. We don't necessarily think that means that he's going to play right away week one. But it's a good sign that he's not going to miss like six weeks, which right. is when you get in trouble. If he misses three weeks, gets worked back a couple, and then fucking slays the final 10, 11 weeks, like he's he's a round two guy, right? Like I think it's I think Evans is a round two guy, just like I, I agree with your point about the upside. Problem. That scenario was a problem for Evans in my mind. Be, yeah. Evans in round two. I, I think Evans looks more like a round three guy with some of the targets per outrun decline and some of that stuff or around four guy, maybe even. Yeah, I do. I mean, some of this also like goes back to why we really like some of the wide receivers in round one, which is like, Hey, round two, I think you can find some backs that have as much, maybe a little bit more risk, but as much pure ceiling as any of the non CMC maybe non JT backs out there. Whereas I do think there's like a pretty clear separation after the top four or five, maybe top six wide receivers. So um, I like getting the wide receiver first. And then if I get into a weird spot where I'm like, I don't know if I want to take T Higgins or Mike Evans quite this early, you know, you can gamble on Saquon or possibly so, Fournette. Yeah. And, and one of the things you're saying is you really like, sort of all of the passing weapons in this offense, right? Like you, you're saying yeah. that maybe both Evans and Godwin could be second round picks if if Godwin were, you know, fully healthy or if we knew he'd be back really quick and fully healthy maybe just a couple weeks into the year. So where does that put you on Julio? Where does that put you on Gage? It looks like you're a little higher on Gage still than me. I kind of feel like Gage should be like a double digit round pick because I'm getting more optimistic in Godwin coming back and Julio playing a big role. And I just feel like Gage is not good enough to compete with those three guys for targets. Yeah, Gage had some really good numbers, strong numbers last yeah. year. I thought, you know, he produced pretty well in an offense that was pretty dire. You know, he also didn't have a ton of target competition because it was basically just him and Kyle Pitts out there after Ridley was gone for the season. So it's hard to completely parse out talent versus he just, you know, they didn't have a choice. But I was a, overall, I was impressed with Gage last offseason. I'm thinking Julio is someone that they use like pretty sparingly, especially in the regular season. 
that's a subjective feel thing. Um, so we I have gauge, right. we have gauge right. ahead of Julio, and there are like some outs for gauge, which is like Godwin misses a couple weeks and they, they play it coy with Julio. I agree, he's a double digit round pick. I would take gauge ahead of Julio. Um, I actually see a little bit more upside with gauge where if something happens to Evans or Godwin, I think gauge could play a ton of snaps, whereas I think they'll probably manage Julio regardless. But again, you know, you're purely. Purely a guess, and and possibly yeah. we're being a little too harsh on Julio. You have seventy eight targets for Julio. We have seventy, and then the big gap is we have eighty nine targets for Russell Gage. You have sixty eight. Um, so basically, half of that is to Julio, and then the other half is just a little bit more concentration on Godwin and Evans. Yeah, and I think I'm projecting maybe a more optimistic timeline for Godwin. I'm seven targets higher on Godwin. That's again a feel thing. I think your your stance there is very, you know. Uh, valid. <laughs> like, I, like, I think it's a fair, fair take. Yeah, and we'll I see. see what, a little I, I would take Julio over Gage, but but I do think what you described is fair. I think they're probably both ultimately though like double digit round picks. Like yeah, like I think they're yeah you know, they're probably both fine once you start to get in, into round ten. They both have contingent upside too, though. Like with Grant gone. You know, the tight end role could be a little bit more diminished in this offense. And I mean, pe- people are just going to smash. Like this offense is going to score a ton of points. They're going to throw a ton. It's it's hard I for cut, people to be bad. I cut the tight end targets quite a bit. And it looks like I'm still lapping you in tight end targets. So I cut them a, a lot. Cut them a lot. Yeah. And that's so, interesting for sure. I have Rudolph at, I basically have Rudolph and Brait split evenly with 44 and a half targets each. And then um, like, a small share to Kate Auden. And then you've got about 54 targets for Rudolph and 65 for Bray. So a little so bit higher. 31. Yeah. I'm looking at it. Let me look at last season right now. Just total up the position for Tampa Bay. So 168 is what I have in my spreadsheet. Yeah. So I have Gronk um, 13%. And this, this is of all team targets. So it doesn't like dock him for games missed. Bright eight percent, yeah. I have it at Howard three percent. So that that's up to about twenty four. So yeah, twenty four percent. So twenty four percent. Whereas this season, um, obviously not projecting that number. I'm projecting about nineteen and a half. So I, I'm cutting it down. You're probably projecting what sixteen or seventeen. Yeah, we got like eight eighteen percent. Um, I do have like a couple two points to Gronk still <laughs> shot, oh, shot. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a very low token share just to, but so that's cutting it down from 27% to 18%. So that's, that's a huge cut back. And that also yeah. plays into like whether gauge has value, like depending on yeah. what sets they run or not. Um, the weeks that Gronk was out, um, I'm looking now. So Gronk missed weeks four through seven. So Bray, Average target share four through seven was nine uh, percent, and OJ Howard that we those over that span was like eight point seven percent. So they were about it was about eighteen percent the weeks that Gronk was out. So we're probably a little bit light, but I do think it could come down pretty meaningfully. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, I don't think any of the tight ends are worth drafting because I think they're going to be 
split and like just like extremely touchdown dependent. Yeah, I mean, maybe in deep tight end premium, but I'm with you. Okay, let's go to New Orleans. I've got 63 plays. I bumped that up from 62 and a half. Just like, I know they were so slow paced last year. I'm not sure what they're going to be this year. You have 62.2, I have 63. We're both projecting below average. I've bumped up the pass rate quite a bit on some of, you know, the talking to Adam Levitan and some of the ETR guys and just thinking that this offense could run a little bit differently. They were super conservative last year with the 57.5% called, or you have 57.5%, but their called pass rate last season was mega low as well. Yeah, 55%, negative 6% in PROE. Um, With some of the moves that they've signaled, you know, signing Jarvis Landry, they get Michael Thomas back, they draft Chris Olave, thinking they open it up a little bit more, but man, I've still got... Um, I like James. I, I have not. This is the last team I did in all my projections, and I was like, I. <laughs> so my point being, I was like, you know, what, I'm trying to figure out the Saints right now. I'm kind of done, but like, it's a complicated one to figure out, right? Like, a lot of is, guesswork. A lot of guesswork. Uh, I, I like that take though. They added a lot of wide receiver talent for sure. I am looking at like Jameis's uh, rushing attempts though, and. I think we're like there. We have 44 and a half. You have 72. And he was more like he had 32 and seven games with them last year. So we're probably a little bit light on the rushing side of things, which is, you know, playing into our pretty negative Jameis overall. I think he's going way too early regardless though. Like even if we fix that, I drafted Jameis on a stream with Colin Kelly of, um, of Rotoviz, we did a, an underdog team and it was like we got him like a full round after ADP stacked. And it's like that was sort of my limit. I don't know why he goes that much earlier than like some of these other like like Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, golf group. To me, he's just in that same group. Um, I don't know how you feel about Jameis. I think he'd have to be like really efficient to be worth drafting like three yeah. rounds earlier than those guys. I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of out on him. I mean, they've added a lot of weapons. I, I've never been a huge fan of him, just sort of overall uh, as a as a player, I guess. And I think there's probably at least some uncertainty that he plays all sixteen game or all seventeen games. I, I don't think that would necessarily mean Taysom Hill, as some have suggested, but they did bring in Andy Dalton as well, who's a competent player. If Jameis goes full Jameis at times, um, yeah, I just don't really see the upside as the bigger issue. Like I don't really mind drafting guys, even if I'm concerned they're going to miss time, or if you want to argue that I'm being crazy and that he's definitely going to play the, the full season. I just like you were describing, like I, I got them as pretty run heavy already. I, I think you make a point that they a valid point they could be a little pass heavier, but doesn't add a lot of rushing. I don't really see huge like TD rates here. Thomas and Landry are not guys who have run huge TD rates or like underneath options. There's not a lot. Yeah. Of, a lot of depth in their weapons they had one of the worst receiving cores in the league last year so like marcus callaway and traquan smith and those guys that are going to rotate in some are not going to provide a ton um tight end position not great i don't think adam trotman is anything special it's it's not i don't know i, don't, I guess i don't see the upside yeah i feel this way about a lot of the saints offense the so one exception is alvin Kamara, who 
Uh, conservatively right now with like baking in like just a touch of suspension risk and like a little bit of risk with some of these added receivers that maybe the target share for Camara falls down, but it was still nearly 19% last season. So I have 74 targets. You have 86. I have 187 rush attempts. You have 226. Even with our much more conservative projection, he's been like an absolute smash in our rankings in the third round. I think, I, I think you got to you know, continue smashing that there's not too many other backs that have the target upside and thus the overall fantasy upside that Alvin Kamara offers once you get out of the first round and a half or so. Yeah. He comes in, in my projections at RB seven, just a couple, like 2.3 points out of my top five. I mean, you look at his, his target rate over his career, even last year, they were very run heavy. So we didn't have as many raw targets, but his target rate was still incredibly high. It was down a little, still very, very high. They do have a lot more receiving weapons. There is some potential that some of those targets shift over to, you know, these short area targets that they have. Michael Thomas being back, Jarvis Landry on the team. Alvin Kamara is still going to get, you know, one of the best running back target shares. It used to be 20% every year. I think it was 18 last year. I think I'm projecting him for significantly less. I'm projecting him down to 16. I mean, that would be, I'm pretty sure a career low for him. I don't know if I went all the way back to his rookie year, but. That yeah. got him to 86 targets, right? In a in a and I was run heavier than you guys. Um, I mean, if he's even at like a 13% target share, he's gonna catch a lot of balls. And especially if you guys are right on the pass rate, and then you talk about, you know, he's had impressive TD numbers in the past. The efficiency last year was a little bit of a concern, you know, dealt with some some injury stuff, and maybe he wasn't always healthy. It's it is a little bit of a question of is he you know, past his best years in terms of the ability to produce really efficient lines, but just the volume itself from a projection standpoint, he's going to look way better than where he's going. Mark Ingram, the backup to Kamara. I really, I think I took him really late in the Scott Fishbowl draft, you know, like round 20 or so, which at that point, the Kamara suspension was, I mean, it's still some uncertainty, but it seems like the news is that it would probably happen next year, not this year, just given the way like court proceedings and stuff are going. Like, I don't know a whole ton of the legal stuff, but it just sounds like it's possible this year, nothing happens. And then next year would be more of a concern. And I really kind of only want Ingram if Kamara is going to miss time. And even then I'm like, I mean, he's just old and dusty. I'm just not convinced that it would necessarily be him. That's, but it was him last year because I don't know. Sean Payton loves him. Uh, no Sean Payton this year, though. They did bring in Malcolm Brown, I believe, and they have Tony Jones still there. Just really not much in the way of backup running back talent right now. Yeah, it's kind of hard to figure out who their backup running backs are going to be. They have Tony Jones, they have this uh, UDFA, right? Abram Smith, um, Malcolm Brown, Dwayne Washington is still there. Tony Jones wasn't very good last year, but he got some work. So I'm projecting him for some work and, and you guys are as well. I, I didn't put Malcolm Brown in, but probably is like, you know, he's the most notable name. I, I have no idea who else is going to play on their team. This is where I want like Dearness Johnson to get traded. Oh yeah. yeah. Like if Mark Ingram's dust and he, he averaged like, I think it was like 3.5 yards per carry for them down the stretch. They like him and they, they leaned on him a lot, but if Ingram's not really producing, there's a, there's probably room in this backfield for a, a good between the tackles number two back that's better than Ingram and can beat out Ingram potentially. But if Ingram's playing, he's 
he looks good too. I mean, he got a lot of target volume from them. There's a lot of familiarity with the system and stepped right in last year and, and averaged a solid, I don't have the number in front of me, but a solid rate of targets per game in his Saints games last year, obviously played part of the season with Houston. Solid number of carries per game. Had a nice little secondary role that um, very valuable in, in terms of what, you know, he could provide in the very late rounds, especially for like a zero RB build or, or somewhat, something where you just need to get off off to a, a decent start with some running back points early. And, you know, he's probably going to give you that in the first month. At wide receiver, Michael Thomas, we both have leading the team in targets. I have 111. You have 118. In a vacuum, he's someone I don't want to target. You know, he missed all last year and pretty much he's gone like two years without playing. He's aging now and he's not playing with Drew Brees now. And for like what he does well, you need a really high completion rate. Not sure if Jameis, you know, lines up super well with that. Like you compare Jameis to Brees, like pretty different passers. One's like short, real high completion percentage. Jameis is like big plays down the field, but a lot of volatility. Uh, so I'm like pretty worried about Thomas. They also bring in Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave. An underdog, the market's making it easy where there's been like quote unquote news that his ankle is healthy, but I don't know why that's steaming up his ADP so much. He's up to wide receiver 33 there and it's only half PPR on underdog, which you know doesn't play into Thomas's upside case as well. Uh, we have him wide receiver 38 there. So I think he's, a, for me, he's like a pass on underdog. On FFPC, he is going wide receiver 38, though, where we have him ranked and it's full PPR. And that's kind of where I'm like, I don't I don't know. I like I get tempted a little bit by the price tag, even though in a vacuum, I really don't want Michael Thomas. That's sort of where I'm at. I get tempted a little bit, but I don't really want him. There's some interesting rookies that go right around him. And, and I think even the, the back end of the intriguing second year players like Devonta Smith is still often available around Michael Thomas range. and. Yeah, you need to like Drake London territory. Like that's I'm typically going for the youth upside. That's in part because I draft so receiver heavy. I'm trying to take a lot of big swings as a part of that. Uh, I think Thomas probably makes more sense in builds where you are a little bit more running back heavy, and you want to bet on target volume and consistency throughout the year. I mean, he if he's healthy, he should probably provide that. But like you said, he barely has played in the last two years, so we don't really know a ton. I mean, this is this gets back to part of why I'm not really that comfortable with Jameis. His whole team is like. Looks like it's about to fall apart. You know, you yeah. have Thomas, you have Jarvis Landry, who I've always really liked, but is very old and didn't look amazing last year. Mark Ingram, I just noted, good, but not great. Alvin Kamara has already seen some of his efficiency decline. Does that stick or was that just an injury thing? There's potential that like a lot of their skill guys are just not as good anymore. And yeah, I do. I really like your point, though, about kind of the structure of your team. And, and you want to maximize Thomas's usefulness, which is, in theory, a high weekly target floor, which if you need an every week starter at that point in the draft, which you and I quite often don't, he makes a little bit more sense. Swinging for the fences, I'm probably going elsewhere. I think the risk with Thomas is is higher than it than it seems from the outset. You know, whereas I don't think he's any less risky than some of these rookies necessarily. Uh, as far as his teammates. We we were on Jarvis Landry when he was a free agent, and like a lesson to be learned: if you have these free agent wide receivers, they're pretty good gambles early in the offseason. If you look at both Jarvis Landry and Julio Jones, you're getting 
like an average of like five rounds of closing value between these two players, maybe more. So even if you got some Will Fuller and let's say he doesn't sign like two out of three, as Meatloaf said, two out of three ain't bad. So um, uh, for, forgive me, forgive me, please forgive me. <laughs> I haven't been drafting any Landry like since though. Uh, I, it doesn't Sean like Sean Siegel from Rotovis? Isn't he a big on Landry? Like I, I, I haven't seen it because I'm just worried about. He's always thought Landry was undervalued. I think. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, he typically finishes quite a bit higher than where he gets drafted. We did see some skill decline last year with Thomas back. You got to be concerned about where he earns his targets and how Thomas is, you know, a very big target hog in that range. And so, I mean, Landry's cheap enough that I think you can make a case that he's a boring, acceptable pick in the 12th or 13th round in the right situation where you're looking for that type of player. Let's say you took a ton of rookies or second year receivers Mm -hmm. or you're concerned about the stability of your, you know, wide receiver room. I can see adding a guy like Landry to a build like that as your like wide receiver seven. Cause then you're just like, all right, if all these guys take a little while this year to kind of get in, get into stride, we know that rookies tend to break out later in the season or be more productive in the second half of the season. Maybe you're playing Landry as a starter at times early in the year, or, you know, if you're a really running back heavy or, you know, wide receiver light team, you know, he's probably got some of the best target projections in the 12th, 13th round range. But I just don't really know where the upside is. He's not going to be his peak was dominating targets. And he still did really well last year from a targets per outrun standpoint. The some of the efficiency was down, but still was earning volume and, and has since day one his whole career. It seems tough that he could do that alongside Thomas. I think you have to kind of play for Thomas to be missing time. Alongside Thomas, in front of a highly drafted rookie on a team we don't expect to throw a lot. That's just kind of stacked against him. Let's talk about that rookie, Chris Olave. I have him for a lot more targets than you. Admittedly, some of this is baking in like the upside and do his base case a little bit. Olave is going very early. I'm generally ahead of the market on a lot of the rookies. Olave has been one that I haven't gotten too much of yet. I found better values in, like, I prefer Sky Moore straight up to Olave, and their ADPs are kind of flipped. Um, same thing with Burks. Like Traylon Burks goes similar spot as Olave. Much prefer Burks. So I prefer even though, Garrett Wilson as well, who goes after him. So Olave Wilson goes way after him. Yeah, yeah. Olave is one of the rookies that I don't get a lot of. When they were at uh, Ohio State together, Garrett Wilson's targets per run gained every year. Olave's kind of fell off, and he was a four-year player. He was a year older than Wilson, who was an early declare. And in these last couple of seasons, as Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's still at OSU, came on and was this other third great receiver for them, uh, as Jackson Smith and Jigba and Garrett Wilson's target rate per route was rising, Alaves has fallen a little bit. Seems to me like maybe more of a, a number two at the next level or an ancillary piece, not really a target dominant player. I think he's going to fit in right away and have a good you know rookie season as sort of the field stretcher. And, and do some things in the shallow area probably too. But, you know, you have Thomas and Landry probably eating up a lot of volume and Kamara. Um, a lot of it should probably lead their downfield looks by quite a bit and, and could could make a real impact there. But I, I just don't see like a super impactful rookie season for him. And I don't think he was as good of a prospect as a guy like Wilson, who's arguably in a worse spot, but I wouldn't say a, a, a horribly worse spot with the Jets than, than the Saints. No, I mean, in some ways it's bad. I mean... 
I guess with Jameis, like, you know, you're going to get some DGAF downfield targets. Like he's always, his receivers have had a high yards per target and Olave is basically the only guy of the starting three that can do that. But yeah, the Jets are a team that could throw more frequently than New Orleans and there's less target competition. You know, you don't have one of the highest target share running backs in the NFL. You don't have a hog like Michael Thomas. There's room for him and Elijah Moore. So I'm with you. I think like our ADP unadjusted ranks have Garrett Wilson slightly ahead of uh, Olave. When we bake in the ADP on FFPC, we do have Olave slightly ahead, but you're like likely not getting him because we have him three or four spots behind his wide receiver ADP and Garrett Wilson three to four spots ahead of his wide receiver ADP. So we're aligned on the Olave take. I don't think there's anything as far as his depth wide receivers for New Orleans, Trey Quan and Marquez. I just learned today that Deontay Harris last year, uh, he had some big plays last year. It was pretty good. Changed his name this offseason to Deontay Harty, H-A-R-T-Y. Oh, is maybe that's why when I typed in Deontay Harris, uh, my projection came up and yours did not. because <laughs> That's not his name anymore. <laughs> that's not his name anymore. <laughs> Fair Deontay enough. Hardy. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, look at that. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure, but the depth there, I, I don't think any of those guys really matter. Um, Troutman, I've been talking to Dink, who's been grinding a lot of the FFPC best balls, and he's been getting a lot of Troutman as his his tight end three late. I don't have a lot to say about Troutman. It just seems like he is a little bit undervalued in the FFPC best ball format where you're taking three tight ends generally, and he's like a starting tight end that's going off his T33. So um, that, yeah. that's about all I have to say. In that's about all. That probably needs to be said. He's not going to be a huge <laughs> line, but in tight end premium, I, I mean, I, at, at his cost, like you said, I mean, he's going off a tight end 33. He's not going to be a huge target earner or anything and, and wasn't even last year when there weren't, there wasn't anything for competition. Now they have competition, you know, like a, kind of a lot now, guys that are good target earners. So, uh, but at the same time, like he's going to run routes, he's going to be out there. So let's go to Carolina. We both had them regressing a little bit in terms of uh, pace. Uh, last year, they ran over 65 plays per game, which is pretty high. I have them at 64.1. You have 63.8. So a little bit above league average, but but pretty close to league average. And then pass rate, uh, you have 61.5%. I have 61.7%. So we're pretty aligned with them. That's what they had last season. Uh, some concerns, I guess, that they run the ball a little bit more this year. But ultimately, like their PROE last year was negative and their game script is probably going to force them to be an average to above average team in terms of pass rate. Yeah, I, that's I mean, that's how I'm looking at it. The, the game script, I still have them as a slightly negative in PROE, but looking at their Vegas win total and that expected pass rate based on the win total that I've referenced a few times throughout the series, if you put them to, you know, negative 1%, which I have, I, they still come out to 61 and a half percent called pass, which is what I have them at. You have them at 61.7. We're, we're based on a six win team. We're basically saying they are a little bit run heavy, they're, but yet they're still going to throw plenty. Their average spread. If you look at like the books have spreads for each week of the year, their average spread is plus 5.6, which is one of the larger average spreads in the NFL, um, which uh, just another way of looking at the the win total that Ben references and, and projecting that game script out somewhat. Uh, so Baker, I think, you know, a stackable second or third quarterback in best ball, probably about it. I, I, 
I do think that he can have a better season than people give him credit for. He was, you know, he flashed a lot as a rookie. He had spurts. He was really bad last year after he hurt his shoulder. You know, hate to like make too many excuses. I think that matters more though, in terms of like excitement for the upside of the receivers potentially than it does for Baker's fantasy value. Yeah, I think that's well said. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, Ben, talk to us about CMC. We've we've alluded to him at other points of the podcast. Uh, is he the RB1 for you? Is he the 101? How do you feel about CMC? I, I mean, early in the offseason, there was a lot of confidence that J- Jonathan Taylor was the 101 to the extent that I saw. I remember seeing a lot of tweets that were like, who is your 102 since we have a clear 101? And I, I wrote over in my newsletter, uh, a piece about CMC potentially being the one-on-one and the big argument. I mean, even last year, he played only seven games. He left too early, 30% and 36% snap shares in both. He had 49% in his return from the first injury. So a couple games with a lot lower snap shares. You look at those other five games, he was still averaging just a ridiculous scoring rate. I think he had like maybe four of them were over 25 points it was sort of the same elite CMC, his actual, his targets target rate was actually the highest it's ever been. It was like insane. His targets per run were through the roof, very small sample, but like usually when we're fading and running back because of injury, it's either like very serious concern for re-injury risk. Maybe people have that concern or it's that we've also seen some skills decline, maybe sort of associated with it or, um, I guess that's maybe not associated with the injury, but just with age in general, there's not any skill decline on CMC. Like when he's been on the field and played a full game, he's still shown that same upside these last few years in those five games, his per game uh, fantasy points per game was down a little bit, but also his touchdown rate was down a little bit. And it's a very small sample control for the touchdowns at all. And, and you'll see that like, he was still the exact same guy basically. Um, and there's nobody that can score like him. But the way that he catches passes is incredible receiver. So when he's actually healthy, I mean, the big thing for me is even in those five games, you know, controlling for the two that that he played fewer than 40% of the snaps, I think his average snap share was uh, 71%. So people have talked about he's probably not going to be a 100% snap share guy anymore. But even in, uh, it was 72%. I'm pulling up the, the notes here. In those five games. And he still averaged... Um, 23.6 points per game at that average snap rate of 72%. So even if he's a 70% snap rate player, like 23.6 points per game in PPR is better than Jonathan Taylor did last year. It's elite. And that was despite only scoring two touchdowns in those games, in those five games, which is you know, way lower than his typical touchdown rate. So, Oh, I, re- I remember taking, I think it was a game against Arizona and everyone was afraid to play him in DFS. And he scored like 28 DraftKings points. And like, I think he had a touchdown overturned another, he went out, out of bounds inside the five. <laughs> like, yeah, if he had run better on touchdowns, it just would have just been an absolutely absurd, you know, per game number from the fantasy perspective. So for me, like I'm, I'm taking CMC one-on-one. Uh, His that, scoring, the, the, if he stays healthy, what is his range of outcomes? Like his median from what he's done so far in his career is higher than almost every other running back ceiling. Maybe JT can get there. It's it. That sounds insane. That is like, if you look at his past scoring distribution, like that's, I think pretty close to factual. It's insane. 
Yeah. So, I mean, for me, and you touched on it really well with the injury stuff, like most of the injury concern with CMC's a bad taste in people's mouth that he, you know, has missed time two straight years. It's not, and it's possible that he's an injury prone player, but there's not a specific serious injury or skill decline. So yeah, I'm, I'm taking one-on-one because yeah, I think that, the, the upside, right. if you're he has, if he stays healthy and he has a CMC type season, he's going to outscore all the other running backs by so much. Like your, your win rate in your league is just going to go up. So right. you start with an 8.3% default win rate. So like, are you like, what, what percentage do you put on CMC getting hurt again? Even if you put like 50%, the other 50% is a bunch of scenarios that raise that 8.3% to like 15 because he's that good. Yeah. Like, I, I kind of still want to make that bet even if he's a coin flip to get hurt again. Do you have a take on the, like, are you drafting a, a handcuff to CMC? Not, not to handcuff him on your team, but as just an upside dart throw late round running back guy. They have Deonta Foreman and Hubbard. I would think it would be Foreman if you were to take one because Hubbard kind of seemed like he wasn't yeah. able to to do what we wanted last year. Agreed, yeah. Hubbard just wasn't very good as a rookie. They bring in Foreman. He played pretty well with the Titans last year. I, I think Foreman's a, a pretty good late round stash. Okay, one of our favorites, DJ Moore. Uh, I have 144 targets. You have 144 targets. You have a little bit more efficiency than we do on DJ Moore, but he's going to smash. Just love DJ Moore. He is the epitome of Ben of the small miss, big hit type of player. I think even with his ADP moved up in round three, he's churning out 1,100 plus yard seasons like crazy. He's going to run well on touchdowns one year. Like he's not scoring four touchdowns every year for the rest of his career. He's going to have one year, he scores eight to 10, and he could also have a year. Like, like his quarterback play has not been good. So if you think Baker stinks, it's neutral. If you think there's some upside to Baker, like I think there is, you're you're pretty excited about what DJ Moore could do this year. Yeah, I think that's all well said. Had a couple uh, missed opportunities for TDs early last year with Darnold. I think you're absolutely right about him running hot at some point in his career. I think people are, you know, we always said it about Julio and it never happened. Like the, there's a lot of receivers and, you know, you look at like a normal distribution or whatever. Typically you have some outliers in a sample of hundred you know plus data points or whatever. So that's sort of the way I think about it. We're like, it's like flipping a coin. Sometimes if you do it a hundred times for one, for each, you know, receiver in the league, relevant receiver, some of them are going to have ones where you come up head several times in a row. That's kind of how I think of Julio. It's kind of how I think of what's happened with DJ Moore, a guy with his yak ability, which also shows up in the rush attempts he's had throughout his career. He's generated a lot of rushing yards. He's good with the ball in his hands. It, it reminds you somewhat of Debo. Uh, and Debo had the big touchdown spike last year after not necessarily being a huge touchdown guy prior. You like DJ Moore can definitely do it at some point with the TDs last year. And as far as his receiving targets per run went through the roof, his uh, yards per target fell off a ton. The quarterback play was just horrible. I mean, story of his career, but he'd still managed to be a nine plus yards per target guy for each of his first three years um, based on PFS numbers. So they, uh, they always run a little higher because they don't count everything as a target, like maybe at pro football reference that he would have had a year slightly under nine. Anyway, he was all the way down to 7.4 based on PFF's numbers last year. So, he, like, his yards per run actually went down last year, but his targets per run were 
2.7% higher than his career high. He actually was really earning volume. So for the people concerned about McCaffrey being back in the offense, that was sort of the big note from last year was that Robbie Anderson kind of went away. Uh, DJ Moore really took off in terms of being like the clear number one for target volume, the guy that was always open and getting a lot of volume. Efficiency just sucked. I mean, the quarterback play sucked. Um, definitely in on the DJ Moore season is coming at some point. Yeah, he's only 25. You know, he's four productive years and he's only 25. So really in on DJ Moore. It's funny, our Robbie Anderson projection, our fantasy point total is pretty close. I kind of whacked his targets down to be pretty conservative here, but regressed his absurdly horrible efficiency a little bit closer to league average. And you have a bit more targets, but uh, did not regress the efficiency as much. So we end up with close to similar fantasy point total, which around around 160 PPR points. I have 89 targets. You have 106. Man, Robbie, I mean, no one wants to draft Robbie Anderson, I know, but he's going, he's going too late, especially for best ball leagues where wide receivers that are just on the field and playing are like pretty useful even if they don't have huge upside. I, I mean, Robbie's going wide receiver 70s. Like, th- there's no competition here for, for wide receiver two, uh, in my opinion. So Yeah, I mean, the only reason not to draft him is he preemptively made his new quarterback probably hate him by just, like, being very public about not wanting him to be on the team. But you're right. Like, there's not a lot that can be said. I mean, he still earned enough volume. He was astronomically bad in terms of efficiency that can't sustain. Sometimes you can get in trouble. We talk about this with with betting on bad efficiency to get good. But with a guy like Robbie Anderson, you have a long career of pretty good efficiency, and he's that bad. I mean, you got to hope that he like has some room to to regress. Like, we we have a pretty good baseline of what he is. So. I mean, if you're inclined to to make that, I, I'm I'm sort of not because I just I guess I'm, I'm so all in on DJ Moore that I'm just like whatever I'm going to go somewhere else. But I can definitely see where your point that Robbie Anderson is, is undervalued. I mean, he just yeah, it's a really good best ball pick to me because like like he had target games of 11, 7, 11, 9, 12, 8, 10, 9 last year. You're just going to get some weeks where he's useful. You know, maybe he's in a managed league. The fact that he's drafted too late just doesn't fucking matter because he doesn't have the upside that you need to be starting on a weekly basis, uh, which I can get. But in best ball, when you like, if you can have a stable of eight to nine receivers that are all playing and like somewhat productive, it, he, and you can get him as late as you can, I think it's fine there. Behind him, I haven't drafted any Terrace Marshall. Kind of gave up on him. Uh, curious if you think there's any rebound potential for a prospect we, like dude he, he's rocking the preseason we were really thought he was undervalued coming in and then disappointed they also have uh richard higgins who did like have decent target earning potential relative to his role in cleveland yeah and has the familiarity with baker i, I think that's makes it a little bit tougher on marshall that they have you know Higgins, who's just sort of that stable vet that can play the number three role. I think there's probably still potential for Marshall's career to turn around. Not a good sign what he did in his year one. That typically is sort of a death knell. The way I would describe it is if he does turn it around, it's probably a multi-year thing. I don't think he's really worth betting on this year. It it would really surprise me if he came out and was playing at an incredibly high level right away. Let's go to tight end. Uh, Tommy Tremble. At times last year, I remember using him a little bit as a punt, t- punt tight end in DFS. You've got 
some more targets than I do to him. I have 47, you have 59. Um, I'm not sure if that is relevant, but anything to say about Trumbull? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, so I mean he's a fun tight end, like you said. Yeah, he's like even in the FFPC best balls, he he's not drafted a lot of the times. And there's there's not a lot of target volume here, which is part of why I have some for him. But like if Higgins is actually playing well, you know, with Baker has that familiarity, or if Robbie does kind of bounce back, like we said, it's it's sort of like, or if Terrace Marshall has any kind of a bounce back, like Tremble can't do it. It's it's just sort of like why would you bet on this tight end when they already have Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, you know, locked into so many targets. Let's go to Atlanta where we each have only 61 ish plays for them. I have a 60.5% called pass rate. You have a 62.8% called pass rate. That's something I'm going to look into a little bit last season. um, Their pass rate was 62.6%. So uh, they were slightly negative in PROE but they only won seven games and they, they were in a lot of passing situations this year, their Vegas win totals five. And so I have their expected pass rate even higher than uh, where their pass rate was last year. So I, I'm kind of putting them at a similar negative, just very slight negative PROE, but it's game script, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's you're going to play Tampa Bay and you're going to have to throw in those games. And I don't know, the rest yeah. of their division sucks, but <laughs> they're, they're going to be trailing a lot. Yeah, the projected margin for them is you know, not good. Actually, I think I misspoke earlier in Carolina. Their projected margin is uh, 3.3 on the year. I think I had said 5.7. That was Atlanta's number. I had those mixed up in my spreadsheet. So correction, uh, Carolina's margin is still not good, but not quite as bad as I'd indicated. Whereas Atlanta's is very bad. The reason I don't have the pass rate higher, and I might move it closer to your number, when you go from Matt Ryan at quarterback to like Mariota and Ritter, I'm worried that they're going to call the game like even more conservatively, even though yeah. the game script's going to be so bad. And uh, if you listen to me, I do kind of share the same anecdotes over. And another one that I will share just because it, I was so tilted that I have to continuously tilt this, but week one in DFS last year, Ben, I had my Atlanta Philly stacks. I was ready to rock and roll. Atlanta playing down in the fourth quarter and uh, they were running like third and long draw plays to Mike Davis. So (laughs) um, the the Arthur Smith hopes went out the window very quickly for Atlanta last year. I'm still probably light on that pass rate though. If you're just thinking of in terms of range of outcomes, probably should be a little bit closer to, um, you know, 61 to 62% than the 60.5. That might be a little hot. I was, uh, you know, goosing the numbers for my, my Kyle Pitts left probably a little bit. Yeah, you know, got to get the Kyle Pitts targets up there. Um, so I am going to boost their pass rate a little bit. I'm actually doing that right now. Uh, at quarterback, you know, I don't know. We have an even split right now between Mariota and Ritter. Don't have any strong takes. Mariota could be surprisingly useful, I think, uh, when he's starting. I think, I mean, both of them have some rushing upside, which is nice. They do have some young talent in Kyle Pitts and Drake London. But they also could just be such a terrible team that I don't know if the scoring expectation would necessarily be high enough. And I don't know if the play calling is going to lend itself towards a ton of dropbacks. Yeah, I don't have any strong takes to disagree with that. I think projecting a Mariota Ritter split is tough. There's question marks about Ritter. He obviously went pretty late in the draft. And Mariota has a familiarity with Arthur Smith. 
from Tennessee. So I ended up just projecting Mariota to be their QB basically for the whole year. But I do think it's probably likely that they're going to be out and Ritter's going to play late. I'll say that, as you note, with their rushing, with his rushing ability, I mean, if you're playing in like a super flex league or even just a one QB league where you wind up finding yourself going pretty late QB, I guess I don't hate the idea of going, waiting till the very end and and just taking Mariota and and starting him early until he. It's kind of like you've made this case with Tyrod in, in past years, where it's like he's probably going to be fine when he's playing. He's going to scramble a little bit. They are kind of a slow paced team, but he has some weapons. I I don't know. I think I think he might not be like he might be like QB twenty five, and you can probably get him QB thirty two. Yeah, I mean, like if you're rolling the dice on Watson and you're going to miss six games, there's a few quarterbacks that you can probably that are probably going for a dollar because of the the longer season concerns, but are going to be, as you said, like Mariota can fill in the first six games for you or whatever uh, and be fine in that format. At running back, man. So I mentioned with New Orleans, Michael Thomas is a guy in a vacuum I don't want to draft. Kind of feel that way about Cordell Patterson, but I have been drafting Cordell Patterson. <laughs> I, uh, it's tough for me to come up with like a more conservative projection than I have. We have, I have more rush attempts than you, but less targets. Uh, ironically, we spit out to the decimal 188.6 PPR fantasy points. I always have to point that out because it's just like insane that that yeah, happens. That's crazy. And, He's and you have over a hundred more rush yards and I have, you know, six more catches and, and 70 more receiving yards or something. Yeah. I think just the lack of offensive skill players and talent, like he's going to have to play. Like, I know he's not your prototypical back. He's older. You know, he ran pure on some stuff last year, but you know, we're not talking about a dead zone running back. We're talking about a guy that's going 112 on underdog. Um, he's going 101.5 on FFPC. Yeah, if I'm dra- if I'm yeah, if I'm drafting really wide receiver heavy early, like I- I'm pretty happy to get Cordell Patterson in rounds nine and like around nine or ten and and being able to just plug him in at running back for a little bit. The one issue is last year it was pretty clear they gave him as much work as they thought he could handle. Like I don't think his workload could get any bigger than it got last year. It was like yeah, he was their one playmaker in in a lot of ways. Obviously, Pets was there too, but. Um, they still didn't give him like the full workload or anything. I wouldn't expect that a year older. I feel like most of his scenarios are a little bit less rushing because Algier kind of comes on as a rookie is better than Mike Davis was last year. And I do think that's very live. Um, or like Damian Williams plays a little bit more on passing downs now that they brought him in and they, you know, they use Patterson as the gadget player, but don't rely on him for such a heavy workload you know, as also the third down back, for example, they use Williams in, in long down and distance stuff or whatever. I think there's some scenarios like that that could be bad for Patterson, but he's, when you just step back and look at the offense, like he's still based on the way they played last year and where they're sitting now, one of their players that is like a guy they want to get the ball in the hands of, you know, they have the two other young guys, London and Pitts and basically no one else. So you would assume that Patterson's still going to get plenty of work. And I'm with you. Like if you're doing like a zero RB or something, he's at least going to be, startable early in the year it'll be interesting to see if he can hold up to another long season at his age and, and like i said if the other running backs take a little more work than we're than, than the backs did last year that were behind him but I, i'm with you i think he's a reasonable pick yeah and then algier is interesting to talk about i've been on the fade side of algier 
but it's difficult because it's a backfield. You want to attack the uncertainty because again, you know, we're talking about CPAT not being utilized as much as a traditional back. There's not a lot of competition here. He's the rookie. So, Hey, like let's go with the rookie. I do feel like sometimes in these situations, we overrate a back when the draft capital is not really there. So we're talking, you know, a fifth round pick who doesn't, you know, statistically seem to profile as that explosive of a player. He did have a decent college target share, which is nice to see. Uh, So you're a little bit higher than me on Algier. Why don't you speak to that? I think what you just said makes a lot of sense. The counter is sort of just like bet into the wide error bars a little bit, you know, like there there's everything I just said about Patterson is true. Like he's basically only going to get scaled back. I don't really see how he can get more work. Mike Davis was terrible last year. They kept using him. Um, There's a lot of room for somebody else to step in. So I'm basically saying Algier will take at least what Mike Davis had and potentially a little bit more Damian Williams to step into some, but probably to step into some of what Patterson might get scaled back from. I mean, Algier, what, like, one thing I'll say in his favor is he showed an ability to take a lot of touches last year, at, at least at BYU, not early in his career. Mm-hmm. Um, but 300 and, 304 touches last year, 1,800 yards, 23 touchdowns at BYU. He had 164 touches, 1,300 yards, 13 TDs in his, uh, his year prior. In 2020, I guess they, they're listing them both as sophomore seasons because of the COVID year. But had a couple of really strong, you know, just raw numbers, raw touches, like workhorse type years. And, um, you know, Arthur Smith has always kind of wanted that guy in his offense. He had it with Derrick Henry. He kept giving that role to Mike Davis. Like, you're, I need you to grind out these yards. I feel like Algier's going to get touches. But I'm with you that maybe we're overvaluing the touches relative to the the player profile. It's just sort of this, you know, bet into the wide air bars. Maybe he's good. Yeah. And it'll be good to get some information in the preseason. I mean, you almost, if you're pro Algier, you almost hope to see him in a solidified spot on the depth chart, but not to flash too much, (laughs) like like hit that middle ground. So his ADP doesn't really change, but I feel a lot better about axing off like, okay, draft capital concerns go away because he's like clearly has a spot in the rotation. And that's, that's mostly what I care about at this point. And then I'm, you know, betting on him over Damian Williams and CPAT. Um, for backfield that just got some olds if you will drake london you have 113 targets i have 105 we're typically ahead of the market on the rookie wide receivers drake london to me is kind of kind of no different um i prefer burks a little bit but london's probably safer so to speak but they're both oh, i like that though that's a little bit of a spicy take why do you prefer burks i just think there's a little bit more uh, juice maybe in the offense. Like I know it's not a pass heavy offense, but Tannehill has proven to be a pretty capable quarterback. And all all the Burks comps that I see are just like very high risk, high reward. So I'm kind of leaning into like the max uncertainty yeah. and potentially like huge, huge hit. I did take, I did have the 102 in a dynasty rookie draft and I took London ahead of Burks. Uh, basically just siding with the draft capital um, and putting the tiebreaker on London. They're probably pretty close. And like, if I'm being honest, ultimately in an actual draft, I'm taking London first because I'm going to play the ADP game and, and maybe try and get both. And London's ADP, the market's a lot more comfortable with him than Burks at this point in time. Yeah, that's the way I've been playing it is you don't really have to pick necessarily. You can get cheaper exposure to Burks, but 
it's funny. It was, I was kind of flipped in rookie draft season. I was taking Burks over London. Uh, I, I agree with you. Like he has a, a really interesting profile. Uh, London's is, is obviously very good as well. So I, I, I'm in on, on both these dudes for sure. Uh, I just thought that was an, an interesting note. And you got me a little more excited about Burks. But London is in his own right going to step into obviously a lot of work. You have Kyle Pitts on the other side. Kind of love that situation where you kind of just have the two weapons. One's going to at least help draw some attention, but there's not like anyone else in this offense that has done a good job of drawing targets per route in their career. I mean, they brought in Brian Edwards, they have Olamide Zacchaeus, they have Auden Tate they brought over. They got a bunch of these dudes that, um, you know, some people have, are fans of and and potentially they have a little bit of, you know, latent upside, but they haven't shown anything yet. And, and probably this passing game is going to be largely just London and Pitts but they're both going to help each other a little bit and that teams can't key on either of them. Yeah. And we're oddly pretty close on the projected targets for the ancillary wide receivers. None of whom are worth drafting. In my opinion, um, if I were to take like an absolute stab 18th round, you know, best ball would be Brian Edwards of the group, but they have Brian Edwards. We have for 51 targets. Uh, it sounds like Zacchaeus is ahead of Auden Tate. Um, I know Auden Tate has turned in kind of a fan favorite, but it just uh, all the reports seem to be that he's behind uh, Zacchaeus. And, and he got a really cheap contract as well, Tate, to come in. It wasn't like, you know, we brought him in to play him. It was like a million dollars one year, something like that. Yeah. So we'll go to Pitts where I have 110 targets, you have 132, and that's that's a big gap. And um where he goes in drafts, like that's sort of a meaningful yep. gap, like depending on what your start points. So I essentially have the same amount of targets as he had last year, uh, which is offsetting a little bit of growth with we're just like somewhat conservative on a guy actually playing like the full 17 games. I think we both agree that, you know, he ran bad on touchdowns. So Kyle Pitts remarkably only scored one touchdown last year, which just seems impossible. We're both projecting 6.3. I have 6.4. You have 6.3. Yeah, your TV rate's even higher than mine. Um, yeah, I'm way more bullish on Kyle Pitts. 6.4 <laughs> to 6.3. What are you doing? Uh, so what I would say about Pitts, the thing, the line I've had all offseason is that think of him like a second-year receiver. He basically played receiver last year, um, was was outside, you know, outside on a huge percentage of the snaps. I don't have the percentage right in front of me, but – so like I can't like for instance I came out with my projections with the wide receiver target rate for this team very low the tight end target rate sort of through the roof but I'm kind of thinking of it as counting at least a pretty big chunk of Pitts targets if not all of them as wide receiver targets and then it actually looks like this offense suddenly has you know London and Pitts as these two top receivers and isn't actually throwing to their tight end a lot which either way you split it um, it is important to think of or to recognize that Pitts is basically playing wide receiver and if you think of him like a second year receiver or just a tight end regardless what he did at tight end was unprecedented we know that rookie tight ends don't do a lot but 21 percent targets per run 9.6 yards per target very efficient after earning the target very good at earning some volume 11.2 a dot that's way more of a wide receiver type a dot yards per run over two he started the year at 20 age 20 for the first like four games turned 21 uh i think early in october or mid-october this guy was like a really young rookie who came out, earned volume, was efficient on his targets in terms of yardage, wasn't efficient on touchdowns, which we touched on. But this is the type of year two wide receiver profile with his draft capital and his athletic profile that we would be all over 
if he wasn't a tight end. We would I would take him over Jalen Waddle if he was a receiver, I think, because he had a little bit more draft capital. There were nah, get out of here. Back to back. Waddle was incredible as a rookie as well, but Pitts was so good as a rookie. It doesn't matter, right? Because with Pitts, we also get to fill the onesie position. He gets to count yeah. as a tight end for us. Um, I, I, he's like one of the most important players in, fantasy, in, in all fantasy to me this year. Yeah, I'm a little more bearish. I do think like we have a pretty rich upside case on him. We have like his odds of hitting his upside higher than the average player. We have his efficiency in the upside case higher than we would bump an average player. Uh, do you have a 25% ceiling on his target share uh, starting base target share? We have closer to like, I think like 21 and a half percent. What was so, he last year? Like 19 and a half. I think I started yeah. at 21 and a half and then I bumped him to, I, I finished at 23 and a half. I don't have the base ceiling, but I'm basically between your base and ceiling. Yeah. So, that's what I started. That's why I bumped him. I was like, there's scenarios where he could have 25%, like the ceiling that you're referencing. Yeah. So I guess just for me, like that spits out, like, I think he's a good pick, not an amazing one, but I know I'm like off and, and a lot of sharp people, including yourself, have him as more of an amazing pick. I do have, I bet with, with Crane or with Davis, I have Darren Waller versus Kyle Pitts in uh PPR league. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you, I mean, Wall, Waller's good, but Again, the thing that I want to emphasize is we expect year two receivers to take a step forward. He was already at 19.5% target share last year. So the 21% to me actually feels like you're expecting him to not really improve from an age 20, age 21 season too much. Yeah, but a lot. He could be amazing. You do keep bringing up him as a wide receiver, but he is not a wide receiver. And we just don't see that many tight ends who top out at more than a 25% target share. Like the wide receivers we see, like they can get up 28, 30%. Like, I mean, even like where were, I guess like Kelsey and, um, and Andrews last year, you know, like they're not like, I, I just don't know how much upside there is beyond that. As far as target share, Andrews so was maybe- at 26%. Kelsey was at 21.4% um last year if actually if you look at the average target share i got andrews at 25 percent, kelsey at 21 percent. maybe i overstated a little bit how much he was outside he had 237 snaps out wide 286 in the slot 248 in line you can kind of think of that as a third a third a third about a third of his targets or uh, uh, snaps last year were in line as in like a tight end position about two-thirds were either in the slot or out wide I was thinking it was more like 75%. So honestly, I, I think I did overstate that a little bit. But part of the reason we don't see that is the tight ends are blocking a lot. He's not blocking a lot because he's lining up two-thirds of the time in yeah. a non-blocking position. Yeah, I'm just saying if you look at the very best tight ends, you know, and they can I guess like the argument would be like, okay, well, they're they're one and around one, round two picks with those target shares not being above 25%, but um they're also you know, in, in much more efficient situations. Um, we don't have a I'm, lot of tight ends. Well, number one, we don't have any that had his profile, but we don't have a lot that, that line up outside that much. Sure. And like, I don't know. I think I just, I'm, I'm just not quite as bullish. I think there's yeah. reasons to be concerned. And like the big one for me, if you look at like Atlanta versus Las Vegas, you know, Las Vegas is projected to score like 4.2 points per game more, according to Vegas. Like that's, that's a pretty massive gap. And then in terms of 
like called in terms of pass attempts at the end of the season, like we have Vegas at 37.2 pass attempts per game. She bought like close to four to five more than Atlanta, which is a lot. So um, that's where I end up with Waller ahead of Pitts, which is fucking boring. I know. And Pitts probably Pitts for sure has the higher, like 95 percentile. Right. That's it. In in a projection, maybe it makes sense, but I think the, the 95th percentile ceiling type stuff is what I'm excited about. The guy that I like to, think through and compare them to as Andrews because they're both in little probably lower volume offenses and the question is how high can the target share kind of get Andrews has already shown he can be at the 25 percent range but if Pitts gets there I mean he can be better than Andrews frankly he could be a can he be yeah. that much better than what Andrews not, has done not that probably not a ton better and that is something like that he's came probably, out of these projections for me for he's sure. probably better than Andrews like talent wise but like as far as like how his actual numbers like uh, you know Andrews was in a low. Like Andrews, Andrews is really good. <laughs> like I, his his efficiency numbers are so good because he plays on a really good team. And we, as we noted when we did the AFC North, like Baltimore actually threw a decent bit last year too. So it was like he had a good combination last year. He was fine, you know, two years ago too when they didn't throw a lot. But um, that's just my like like he, his his ADP is like a little bit. You know, I mean, you got to be pretty confident you're taking in the middle of third round uh, in non-tight end premium. I'm, I'm just not sure if I'm there. That's fair. Uh, but I was going to say, Andrews, I have projected for 25%, 25.5% targets. And uh, when we did that team, you you mentioned, part of the reason I bought Pitts is you mentioned to me when we did that team, these lower volume offenses that have running quarterbacks, how I had said before, that we can sometimes see concentration. Remember that? Don't use my words against me. <laughs> we can see concentration of targets. No, I, so I, I like, do. Why can't Pitts be in a lower volume, you know, quarterback yeah. mobile offense? Why can't he be a twenty-five percent guy like Andrews? And that's why I wound up, wound up at twenty-three point five. He's he'll be a really fun dude to watch this year. Kyle Pitts is going to be fun. Yeah, I hate being the guy that's not in on Kyle Pitts. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not out on Kyle Pitts, but I'm not in on him, and that's that is boring. It's it's, it's the cross I have to bear, Ben. <laughs> you know. Was being the boring old guy. I, I do think. I mean, Andrews what a way to what a way to what a way to wrap up the series yeah. with me being a Kyle Pitts wet blanket. Yeah, that is a it is a fun one and not surprising. But uh, the one the one thing I will say about Andrews and Pitts, Andrews has maintained the high TD rates. If you're at all concerned about Pitts's one TD last year, like we're not, we're we're regressing his TD not, rate quite yeah. a bit. But Andrews is in a better offense. It's going to score more too. Like he's probably going to catch two more touchdowns in most scenarios than than Pitts and. That you said can pitch really be much better than Andrews. I think he's going to have to be a superstar to be a lot better than Andrews. I do structurally like to get elite onesies though. So it's one of those things like in my ranks, I'm probably taking pits like a little bit ahead. Like we have pits 22 in, in FFPC tight end premium. We have Darren Waller one spot behind 23. Part of that's because we're baking in ADP. Like our unadjusted ranks have Waller ahead, but you know, Hashtag respect the market. We have Pitts ahead one. And like a couple guys ahead of them, like a couple backs where it's like, you know, they might make it back to me in round three, you know, or, or like yeah. Mike Evans, we have like a head, but as we discussed with the ceiling case on him, like I'd probably take Pitts ahead of him. Um, You're doing a great job of keeping his ADP down. I'm excited. I'm getting as much Pitts as I can, as I can handle. All right. You, you take early round three pits in a uh, non-tight end premium. Let me know how that turns out at the end of the year. Oh, I'm, I've, I've I'm been sh- doing it. I will let you know how it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. If you've enjoyed this series, absolutely make sure that you're following Ben at his Substack, Ben Gretschot.substack.com. He's got a couple different newsletters, Stealing Signals and Stealing Lines. You can also hear him on the Rotoviz podcast, Stealing Bananas with Sean Siegel. Find all my work over at Establish the Run. Also, please rate, review the podcast on iTunes, subscribe and like it on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. Helps to do this series and other content like this for free. Best of luck this season, everyone. Thank you.